Hecanite episode with Horror on the Rocks. Frank, Joe, and special guest Antoinette break down 1998's The Faculty. They're coming for you, Barbara. Look, there comes one of them now. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Hi, everyone. We are back. Today is March 253rd of 2020. We are uh, still in quarantine. And we are here with another Whore on the Rocks from Home. What do you mean by 253rd? It's been 253 days of quarantine? That's what it feels like. It feels like not like we've been stuck Groundhog's Daying March 18th since the city went on lockdown. Yeah, I've lost all concept of, of time, and I think every day kind of blurs together. So. Yeah, so um, we are we're here with another uh, remote episode. We have a really fun movie uh, that we're going to talk about tonight. We are going to talk about 1998's The Faculty, um, and we have a really special guest co-host with us, Antoinette Peters, uh, who is with us today. So thank you for being here, Antoinette. I am super excited to be here. This is awesome, or at least to be on the podcast. I mean, I'm still at home like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, well, we, you're such an obvious and easy choice because I know how much you love horror movies. This is kind of your specialty. And you're also a teacher, so I thought, boom, <laughs> this movie is so, so fitting. So I'm happy that you're here with us for this one. <laughs> I Oh, definitely. <laughs> I have lots of questions about what things are like in the faculty lounge, but we will get to that. We will get to that. Um, yeah, so no list tonight. We're just going to do some horror news, and we are going to jump right into uh, this movie from Joe and I's past. It's Antoinette's first time watching it? Yes. So, uh, Never saw it. Uh, but before we do horror news, before we get into the faculty, guys, what are you drinking? Yeah, Antoinette, take the lead. What do you got? Um, I actually have a Lindemann's uh, Peach Lambic beer. I guess that's Belgian. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it is peach. Ooh, has you had it before? Um, actually, I have. Awesome. Well, that looks and sounds delicious. I'm having just some simple Prosecco. Um, ooh. Yeah, I kind of dropped the ball on preparing something. So I was like, ooh, Prosecco in the fridge. Let me just finish this out. And uh, yeah, I'll be sipping on this tonight. What wait, do you have, Frank? Wait, Joe, you did a half-assed job preparing for the podcast? Get out of here. <laughs> I am I, so frank. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I bought this bottle at the beginning of quarantine, thinking, "Oh, I'll do an episode with it at some point." And uh, it is. I'm finishing it off for tonight's episode. I'm having a glass of Russell's Reserve Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Um, it's just it is just a bourbon that I had uh, not had before uh, I bought this bottle, and as you can see, I enjoyed it very much. It is uh, Wait, delicious. Frank, is there a glass? Or you just drinking out of the bottle? There's a glass, oh, Joe. Okay. There's a okay. glass. You yeah. know what? That was my question. Yeah, I did like... not see a glass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I what I was expecting—a swig out of the bottle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I wouldn't so, fault you for drinking out of the bottle. Hey, like yeah, I get that it. quarantine life. Days blurring exactly. together. Well, cheers, guys. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so um, before we get into some horror news, when that, whenever we have a new guest on the show, we like to ask them what movie kind of 
got you excited about horror films or what what scared you the most what kind of sparked this interest in scary movies so Antoinette was there a movie that that did that for you well actually there are um, a few so probably around the age of 10 or when I was younger I had two horrible experiences uh one was uh, with Dawn of the Dead, and then the other one was with The Exorcist. So for a long time, I didn't think that I liked horror, but the movie that kind of piqued my interest was what I saw when I was 14, and that was Aliens. So uh, yep. classic. <laughs> Aliens was the beginning. Very, very good tie into tonight's movie, a horror alien sci-fi kind of hybrid one. Well, before we get into the faculty, um, I have some horror news. You know, I got to be honest, guys, it is kind of hard to put horror news together these days that isn't just, this is canceled, that's postponed, we have no idea when this is coming out. So I have refrained from that, and I have mostly news about stuff that's actually happening. Um, okay. So uh, rumors abound, and, and I guess some uh, interviews have revealed that Jordan Peele's next movie is called Sinkhole, and it will be oh. starring and co-produced by Issa Rae from Insecure. <sighs> Who is oh fabulous? Oh my gosh, are you serious? Yes. Yeah. And wow, that is um, that's awesome. Yes. I so would she, love to see her in a horror movie. Oh, that'd be. Oh, sick. she would be fantastic. And she's she's going to be involved in the production of it as well. And it sounds like it's kind of maybe sort of um, Pet cemetery esque Here's Ooh. here's what it says. It's a thought-provoking genre piece that engages with questions of, of female perfection and identity. It's based, ah. on a, it's based on a short story about a young family which moves into their dream home except for the gaping sinkhole in their backyard. The mysterious sinkhole manages to fix broken and destroyed things. However, the story asks, what if that thing is a person? So uh, I'm guessing ah. we're going to be ca getting characters going in and out of the sinkhole and, and coming back different, um, which is always a fun kind of plot mechanism in a horror movie. So um, I'm really excited to hear about that. That's for sure. A um, couple other things. They are remaking The Changeling, which is a classic from the 80s with George C. Scott about his um, his family dies in like a tragic accident. It's the movie with the with the ball bouncing down the stairs from the ghost upstairs. Um, they'll be remaking that. Um, uh, they are making a TV series out of the Child's Play Chucky universe. It's going to be <laughs> on uh, USA and Sci-Fi in 2021. And Brad Dourif, the original voice of Chucky, is confirmed. He's going to be the voice of Chucky on the show. Um, good news, the new Candyman, uh, the new Candyman, uh, you know, uh, I don't think it's a sequel, but I don't think it's quite a remake either. Um, that is still expected to come out on October 16, knock on wood everywhere. Um, but even better news is that the MPA announced it got an R rating. So that, you know, we are, fingers crossed, it sounds like they are not going to mess this up and make a PG-13 version of Candyman. Um, what else do I have? Oh, that Simon Pegg uh, horror comedy series called Truth Seekers is still expected out on Amazon Prime later this year. And the last little bit, this is kind of on a sad note. We have lost a bunch of people that are pretty important in horror since we last did a podcast. Um, Joel Schumacher, who's the director of The Lost Boys, died. 
Um, oh. Kelly Preston, which I'm sure a lot of people heard about. She's obviously been in tons of things, but horror fans know her best from Christine. And uh, John Saxton, who plays the trusty cop in almost every horror movie, um, or not every, but tons of horror movies. He was in uh, The Nightmare on Elm Street. He was in Black Christmas, uh, Tenebrae, which is a really good Italian one from Dust Till Dawn. So we lost some good ones during this quarantine. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I have for horror news. How about you, Joe? Yeah, so there was actually a very timely article that came out recently in the New York Times about um, three different new horror movies that are being released, all directed by women, which is really cool. But they all kind of tap into what's going on in the world with just anxieties regarding isolation or pandemics. And they kind of touch upon these very uh, current relevant themes. Um, so the three movies real quick are called She Dies Tomorrow, Amulet, and Relic. And Relic has been getting a lot of buzz. Um, I just looked it up. You can actually rent it right now. And I believe all these movies were playing in drive-in theaters, which has become a kind of a popular way of seeing movies now since most theaters aren't open, indoor ones. Um, so check those out. And there was also an article in The Atlantic about how low-budget horror movies are actually thriving now, too, um, especially in drive-in theaters. They refer to um, a few that have come out recently also called The Wretched or The Wretched? The Wretched. Try The Wretched. <laughs> um, it was the top of the box office for five weekends. I never actually heard of it, but... Um, Seems to be doing pretty well. Becky and this other movie called Followed. So there seems to be a lot of offerings right now. I heard Becky was not. Do you know what the premise of Becky is? Uh, is that the one with, yeah, it's the one Kevin, with Kevin James. Kevin James, the guy from King of Queens, is like a neo-Nazi that like the breaks out of jail and is like looking for some relic and he holds a family hostage. I heard that one was not super good. Have you? Yeah. It doesn't sound good. <laughs> Have you, guys, uh, have you guys seen anything during quarantine, either new or something you saw for the first time that, uh, you know, man, it's just so hard to find things you haven't seen right now because I feel like we've all been cooped up with our various uh, cable providers and streaming services for months. Well, my best friend and I, uh, since quarantine started, we um, watch a horror movie every Saturday night and sometimes we do um, a double feature. So... Um, a couple of movies that I had never seen before. Um, one was The Thing, which I absolutely loved. The one from the and 80s? The one from the 80s with a very young Kurt Russell. Yes, and a very good movie to watch before watching The Faculty, too. But uh, I'm sure we'll was, talk about that. It was, um, it, was, it was absolutely awesome. And then uh, we decided to... So then uh, we wound up watching Jason Does Manhattan, Oh, which was one I had never time. seen before. Yeah. And so then we decided that we were going to um, go through the Friday the 13th franchise. Oh, so man. we've been doing some of those. Um, we did uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is also another good one to watch. The, the, the one from the 70s with Donald Sutherland and a very oh, no, young Jeff Goldblum? we Goldman? went way back. Oh, the, the one, one from, from the 50s. The one from the 50s, yeah. yeah. We so, watched that. It's funny. Um, it's funny you mentioned some of those movies because before we decided to watch The Faculty, I actually watched the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers for the first time. I'd never, if, if I'd seen it, it'd been a very long time ago. And it's like, you know, I guess we'll talk about it more when we talk about the movie. But I mean, obviously, 
the faculty was very inspired by the thing and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Frank, was that planned to watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers? <laughs> randomly watched it coincidentally before when we were uh when we were making the quizzo by the way i was going to do this at the end but thank you thank you thank you to everybody that took place or that took part in our horror trivia for equality event uh in june we were able to raise a bunch of money for some really good causes um i know antoinette was there and i I hope you guys had fun super happy um and grateful for everybody that took part in that but in writing those questions, I wrote an Invasion of the Body Statures question, and I realized I have not seen all these movies. So I, uh, I, I watched it shortly after that, and then we chose to watch The Faculty, um, at which point, you know, on rewatch, I was like, wow, very, yeah. very inspired by that movie. Perfect. Two really quick things before we get into the movie. So I have two more pieces of news that I wanted to just get out there. Um, so I mentioned about that TV show um, that's going to be on HBO called Lovecraft Country. It's coming out on August 16th, and it is based on um, the science or the horror fiction of H.P. Lovecraft. Frank, you asked me that last time, and I did not know, and I made sure to do some research. So it is based on some of the writing. Um, It explores racism through a horror lens and is set in the 1950s. Um, It involves three black individuals from Chicago traveling through Jim Crow era America who face these different um, horror kind of elements. So it sounds really intriguing. And last but not least, there is a film festival, which I didn't know existed. And I'm glad I um, heard about this. It's called the Black Star Film Fest. It's actually based in Philly. It's all digital this year, but it's from August 20th to August 26th. And um, you can check out their website on blackstarfest.org to get tickets to different screenings. And it is an annual indie film fest showcasing films by black, brown, and indigenous people from across the world. So if you're looking to check out some different types of movies that you may not have heard of or want to explore something different, uh, check out the blackstarfest.org. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Shall we dive into the faculty? Let's jump into it. 1998. Production from Miramax. Where do we start? And, Where do we start? Well, uh, let me let me just throw out some some facts about it from Miramax and Dimension uh, Films, which I feel like th- seeing that Miramax Dimension um, intro just immediately took me to into the '90s. I did not realize that was Harvey Weinstein's company, but man, they made a lot of horror movies uh, in that time period. Yeah. Um, it had it came out on Christmas Day on in 1998 had a $15 million budget, and did $63.2 million worldwide. It is a 54% unfresh on the tomato meter with a 55% uh, or 54 on the tomato meter, 55% audience score with the critics consensus, a ripoff of other sci-fi thrillers, which I felt I felt that was a little bit of a undersell on this movie. I think it How deserves rude. a little that more than rude. that. But so, Joe, you obviously have seen this movie before and saw it long ago as I have, right? Yeah. So I watched it as I guess like a teenager when this came out or I guess it was in middle school. Um, but yeah, so it was fun to rewatch it as an adult. Um, overall, which I'll get more into later, I think it holds up. Um, it is such a blast from the past. Uh, I love just like the feel of it because it's so 90s and it just captures that decade well. But rewatching it, it actually, I thought it kind of tackled some deeper themes that I never really noticed the first time around. I was like, oh, this, there's a little more depth to the movie than what I remembered. 
Um, and, and the scary moments still kind of freaked me out. Um, so yeah, that's my overall take, but I'm curious to hear what Antoinette thought, um, just like generally before we dive into it. Yes, because this was your first watching of this movie, so you don't have the benefit that Joe and I have of, you know, it's a little easier to forgive some of the faults of a movie when you have a strong nostalgic connection to it, but as as watching with fresh eyes in 2020, what was your kind of like initial uh, feeling about the movie? Um. My initial feeling was, and I'm going to go back to what Joe said, yes, it is very, very 90s. Um, And I just thought that it was, in a lot of ways, full of cliches. Um, I think watching it as an adult, I think I went, I I was kind of looking for um, deeper meaning, and I really kind of feel like it's there. So... For me, it was really interesting. I think if I had seen this as a teenager, I probably would have really liked it. As an adult, I was a little bit more critical of it. And I think (laughs) a lot of it is because I'm not a high school student. So, you know, I think I kind of relate to the teachers to a degree. (laughs) Um, Another little tidbit about this movie. Did you know it was written by uh, Kevin Williamson, who created Dawson Creek? He he wrote Scream, Scream 2, Scream 4, Handful of Screams, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and uh, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, which, interestingly enough, apparently he got offered to not only write but also direct this movie, and he turned it down because he was directing Teaching Mrs. Tingle which huh. I don't think I've ever seen. And I feel like this movie is a way bigger part of like the, the film lexicon of the late nineties, but I that's my bias. I did see teaching Mrs. Tingle in theaters. <laughs> of course you did. And the faculty is far superior in every way, <laughs> but um, Robert Rodriguez directed this movie. Um, so yeah, it came out in 1998 and um, pretty much just general backdrop. We're in a high school. I think it's in Ohio. Um, very like football centric. Oh, definitely of- in Ohio. It, there's at least four conversations in this movie where the characters yeah. contemplate why Ohio, why Ohio. Like it's constant. The opening scene is the football coach. Yep, yep. <laughs> Which you guys play? Yes, he is T one thousand from Terminator Two. Yeah, Robert Patrick. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I love that the football scene opens up with uh, a song from the band The Offspring playing in the background. I was like, this just couldn't get any more late 90s. I like I immediately went in a mental time machine. Like the, the, the big 90s shoulder pads. Like now you look at football players, the shoulder pads and the jerseys are super tight. But in the 90s, guys wore like houses on their shoulders with like cut off, cut off shirts. I was like, oh, my God, taking me back. Yeah, so he has some severe anger management issues, really, really full of rage, very nasty, this this coach. Um, And all of a sudden, you see this kind of like shadowy figure hovering over him, and he's sort of like, what do you want? And then we cut to this opening scene of the faculty at at this meeting um, at the high school. It's late at night. We meet the principal. We meet Mrs. Olson, who is the uh, drama teacher. We meet um, some of the other folks, and... What do you think of this opening scene? I just, going back, I I was like, man, there are a lot more of these characters are huge assholes than I remembered because this (laughs) this principal, what's, I think her name's uh, Principal Drake, played by Baby Nerwith. BB? BB Nerwith? I think it's BB. Is BB Nerwith? Uh, Principal Drake, who's also the mom from Jumanji. I realize that's where I recognize her from. But anyway, she is cutting the budget 
for literally everything except the football team. The history class, you're not going to New York. The drama, the drama uh, department, yeah, you're you just can't gonna have put to on use... a new play this yeah. year unless you the, use the, the scene best was... from the old play. <laughs> my my favorite part of it was that the eldest member of the staff was the one that really wanted new computers, and she denies that. She denies the new computers, saying, "No new computers. Get the service guys down here and get the old ones juiced." Don't know what that means, but apparently in the '90s you could just juice computers. But, uh, yeah, she's cutting the budget for everything because the, the town, the parents demand the football team, which is, oh, man, we're just jumping right into teen movie tropes about bad priorities of high schools and high school students. So the meeting is ending, and uh, the principal forgets her keys, goes back inside to get them, and all of a sudden the coach is hovering over her, blocking her exit. He seems off. There's something off with him. And that proceeds then into this kind of chase scene. I remember seeing this initially in theaters. I can't even know if it was in theaters. I remember initially seeing this and being freaked out by this opening scene because that moment where the coach, that, oh my gosh, that iconic moment where he just stabs the pencil in her hand, that still gets me. That still just gives me the shivers. And also, like, I didn't really remember how that sequence played out. And I still found it very suspenseful. When they're running yeah. back and forth, and she doesn't have her key, and the other, the other, um, the other teacher, her name is, this is Olsen, who's played by Piper Laurie, who is Carrie's mom. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we we the cast alone in this movie is amazing. Let's That's let's what just really floored me. I I was like, this is a phenomenal cast. I I loved it for that. Let's yeah. just run through it real quick because this is. I did not realize what a great movie this would be for Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon because there okay. are so many different actors and actresses in it. So you have Jordana Brewster plays Delilah from Fast and Furious fame. Uh, Clea Duvall plays Stokely. Josh Hartnett, obviously uh, Zeke, Pearl Harbor. Uh, Sean uh, Hadassi, the guy that plays Stan. I thought I recognized him from a lot of other things, but I looked up his filmography, and it's pretty much just this for me. Um, uh, and Laura Harris, the girl that plays Mary Beth, know her from nothing else. But everybody else in the movie is a famous person. You have Salma Hayek. Uh, Famke Jansen uh, plays Miss Burke from Rounders, House on Haunted Hill, X-Men. Uh, Elijah Wood's dad, Christopher McDonald, is Shooter McGavin from uh, from Happy Gilmore. Um, the, right, we already talk- that's why he looked familiar. Yeah. I couldn't remember where he was from. We, we uh, already yeah. talked about uh, Principal Drake, who was the mom of Jumanji. The Coach Willis is T-1000, Robert Patrick. Uh, Usher, which did anybody else find it weird that they credited Usher as Usher, Usher Raymond? Like Usher, no, you're no, you're you're yeah. big enough. You're like Madonna or Beyonce or Sting. Like we know who you are, Usher. You don't <laughs> you don't have to put your last name in the credits. His acting credits. Yes, <laughs> that, yes. that's what they are. His name when he's an actor. The one the one I totally forgot. The science teacher John Furlong or Professor Furlong is John Stewart. Yeah. Um, Piper Laurie, we already talked about. Um, Daniel Von Bargen, the the, his, the history teacher, is from Super Troopers. Um, and then there's so many little characters that are in it for just a second. For example, um, an actor named John Abrams. Quick cameo. He and his girlfriend are cursing at each other. He's the male lead in Scary Movie. He's also the younger brother, Denny, 
in uh, Meet the Parents, the one that's like sneaking out of the uh, yeah. the window. Uh, he's also in House of Wax, Joe. That's probably what you'd know him from. And then um, my favorite cameo are the guys that Zeke sk- sells his drugs to his scat. Um, one of them is Danny Masterson from that 70s show. And the Hot other bad. one is Wiley Wiggins, who is uh, the, the young kid, Mitch, from Dazed and Confused. The, the Remember the young boy in eighth grade that gets hazed by the seniors? Have you guys never seen Dazed and Confused? No. Oh, yeah. my God. Well, the rest <laughs> yeah. of our listeners have because it that is a flew right over. very, um, very famous. But anyway. Obviously, this is a murderer's row of people that like became much more famous, except for maybe the girl that played Mary Beth. But anywho, crazy movie film with cameos. Yeah. And we meet most of them in a burst in the beginning with, luckily, they had name tags on everybody. That was very helpful. Did anybody else uh, appreciate that? Yeah, I, but that, I did. But that opening scene, so just when you think the principal is going to get away, she like gets through the chain door, is able to lock it. Piper Laurie's character, who you think is this like sweet, innocent teacher, just starts to stab her with, is it scissors? She had, she was stabbing her with something. That, that still blew me away watching it again. Um, and that's how we get the movie started. So um, we know there's something going on with the faculty. There's something off. And then we meet our lovely cast of high school characters. So we have the, um, you know, I'll go, I'll I'll call Jordana's Brewster, Jordana Brewster's character bitchy because she's mean. She is very mean and aggressively homophobic. Oh my god, I did not remember how much like just how much harassment she uh throws towards uh Stokely's character for yeah. not even being lesbian. She tells uh I think it's Stan Lero, she's like I'm not even lesbian. I do that to get people to leave me alone. And it's exactly the opposite of what she gets from Jordana's Brewster character. Um her name's yeah, Delilah. She's a horrible character. She Awful. also she has that epic line where she said that she put on Estee Lauder lips. It took her 72 minutes. Do you remember that? Is that a yeah. thing? Was there a time period where it took 72 minutes to, to put lipstick on? Uh, oh, I don't believe so. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if it was just that here is someone who is clearly obsessed with how she looks. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, I think the it. most savage thing she says, other than obviously the terrible uh, homophobic stuff that she says to Stokely's character, is when her boyfriend Stan confides in her and says, "You know, I really, I just, you know, I'm going to quit the team. I'm going to start taking my academics seriously, and maybe if I study hard, I can get into a college and get my grades up." And she, <laughs> she at one point comments like, "What am I supposed to do while you're on your yellow brick quest for a brain?" I was like, "Oh, <laughs> damn!" Just, yeah. It's all about wow. her and, and, wow. and her appearance. Um, so, yes, you mentioned Stokely. She's kind of like the goth outcast girl who wants to be, you know, left alone. But she's got a crush on Stan, who is the football stud yep. quarterback. Um, we meet Zeke. I think he has the like the, the best entrance ever. Oh, um, yeah. Played by, played by Josh Hartnett. What's up with that hairdo, though? I was thinking like, the exact same thing. It was like, like, that has got to be the worst haircut anyone could possibly it, have. Spiked up on the sides, but the sweater <laughs> on top. It's very bizarre. I kind of weirdly appreciate it, but I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of how stupid it looks. It's like the front three quarters of it are like a pressed down bowl cut, and the back <laughs> of it is like bedhead. I, I don't know how else to describe it. But, but if, 
Doesn't it kind of look good though in a weird way? <laughs> you know, there's so many. I think that's just you. There's so many uh, like fashion things from the '90s that came rushing back as I watched this movie, and one of them is: Do you notice the whole movie Zeke has like the the bottoms of his long sleeve shirts like up? up onto his thumbs. Do you remember that when like, that was the way you wore a shirt with like half of your hand covered? Just so emo. And if we're going to talk about Zeke's entrance, we have to talk about that beautiful 1970s Pontiac GTO. I remember (laughs) when he pulled up in that car, I was just like, I I want one of those cars. When I'm in high school, I'm going to have one of those cars. Because this this movie came out when I was 11 years old. I saw it probably not long after. I definitely didn't see it in theaters, but I did see it on video or possibly HBO. And I remember thinking, Oh, I can't wait. When I'm 16, I'm going to get a Pontiac. I'm going to get a 1970, pristine 1970 Pontiac GTO. That did not happen. Um, (laughs) The other thing is I definitely remember not doing anything with them, but putting pixie sticks in hollowed out pens and pretending like I had scat. I remember remember doing that. Um, I just thought Josh Hartnett's character in this movie was so cool. He's got a gun. He's like smarter than all the teachers. He's selling bootlegs of wild things and pen drugs out of his trunk. But the fact that the drug is called scat. Scat. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, um, who else do we meet yeah. in the secret? Oh, we meet Mary Beth, the new girl. She's got a very six, thick southern draw. Um, very kind of unassuming. We also meet Casey, Elijah Wood's character, who's kind of like a recluse, nerdy kind of guy who goes to school with a camera around his neck. Um, he works for the newspaper. He works he for the works- school. Yes. And he gets beat up every day because isn't he the one who's like getting um, smashed into the flagpole or something yeah. like that? Yeah. I was shocked that that happened. I was like, wait, I mean, I know this is a movie and this has probably happened in real life, sadly, but I was just like, this is so absurd though. Like, were there were there no teachers or anyone kind of like keeping an eye on this? Like, that just seemed so over the top. Like, he got slammed in the flagpole, you know, his groin. It, it just seemed a little much. Uh, yeah, and then there's that scene where, like, in addition to that, it's like he also gets beat up. So he's, like, sitting in the bathroom with, like, a bloody nose, too. <laughs> Yeah. And well, I'm like, so no one notices like this kid is completely messed up. Yeah, he's he's beat to a pulp in the stall, and then right outside the stall, Zeke is selling pens full of scat to <laughs> to unassuming sophomores. Um, yeah. I, if we're gonna talk about the supervision at this school, it, it comes up a little later, but I think we should just talk about it now. Wait, real quick, real quick, Frank. So with Mary Beth, she has this great line, and there's so much excellent foreshadowing, uh, which is very obvious. It's not even like good foreshadowing, but she has this line where she goes, I'm feeling pretty alien myself. You can ever- <laughs> I totally missed that. Oh, see, you weren't watching closely enough like I was. Uh, but but let, yeah. Let's talk about some of our faculty. So we already talked about Principal Drake, who of course is at school the next day after, after what seems like she got killed uh, by um, was it Mrs. Olson and the coach? They're both there, so we know something's up immediately with that. And then we have to talk about uh, Famke Jansen's character, Mrs. Burke, who has quite possibly the worst temperament for a high school teacher you could possibly have. I'm and not... I just have 
have to point out that she is an English teacher and I teach English. And when I saw her, I was like, how did they, how did she get that job? Like, you cannot, like, I'm surprised she, they didn't run her up the flagpole. Like, you cannot be that timid as a teacher in a room full of teenagers. It was... She tries to bust Zeke for selling drugs and he gives her condoms and she like bashfully walks away. Like this is just, this is unacceptable. This is why Casey's getting his ass kicked every day because his school, no one's paying attention to these kids. Yeah. Yeah. The the classroom scene though, I agree Antoinette, when she was teaching and just had no control and was just doing a real piss poor job. (laughs) But this is when we find out that Zeke actually had some insightful comments. And we start to kind of notice that all these characters, these high school kids, are stereotypes and cliches. But there's also another layer underneath that they're kind of conflicted. They're all, they're all facing some sort of like inner conflict. So it's like they have these outer appearances, but there's something else underneath that uh, sort of defies how, how they come across. I think that that's one of the things that I found really interesting about it, because yeah, they fit all of the stereotypes, but um, I think it's really interesting in a lot of ways, like how nuanced those characters really are. And then going back to, um, you know, Zeke's answer in class, like it really is a great answer that, you know, any teacher who was a halfway decent teacher could have done something with it because he was right. You know, he just kind of added on the other part. Yeah. Yeah. I I will, I will agree with you that most of the characters have kind of like a, uh, you know, a surface appearance and then kind of a deeper conflict or deeper meaning. The only one I thought was kind of uh, thin was Delilah's. They kind of like throw in there later on that she was dealing with like her father dying. She felt undeveloped a little bit. Because she's just so mean and so, like, crass and kind of drives the ball for a lot of what they do for a while in the movie. I feel like we didn't really get into the the depth of that character as much. No, and I think of all of the characters in so many ways. Like, you feel kind of attached to them. She's the only character that I really couldn't care less what happened to her. Yeah. After we kind of meet our merry band of misfits and jocks and... And, uh, you know, cheerleaders and whatnot. I guess now is probably a good time to talk about the uh, scene on the football field where Elijah Wood has the confrontation with uh, c- the coach and he finds the specimen. Um, yeah. he's, he's, he's wandering around the football field instead of in the cafeteria eating lunch. And he finds the, the amphibious... Uh, what do you call it? Pelagic? Uh, what was the? I don't remember the word they use, but the little creature, which which we come to learn is the alien taking over the town. I wrote down octopus-like sea-dwelling creature yeah. because I didn't know how to write that really long scientific name, so I did that instead. And then Elijah Wood has this ridiculous line where apparently he has a life policy where he he says, "I don't think a person should run unless he's being chased." Who's like? Who's <laughs> against moving briskly and efficiently through life? Like. Uh, okay, anyway, so he takes a specimen to John Stewart in the science classroom. They start messing around with it. Uh, once again, Zeke is very clearly too smart to have flunked senior year. He's got all the lingo down as they're looking at this thing under the microscope. They put water on it, starts to move. 
And uh, then they put it in the fish tank. And that's where we start to realize this is a whole species of creature. It bites Jon Stewart in the finger. Um, So when they put it in the water, because it looks like it's dead. And then once they put it in the water, they see that it's sort of thriving and becoming alive again. And then it kind of just like has these teeth all of a sudden. And then doesn't it multiply or like- Yeah, it it splits in two. And then it becomes uh, actually two creatures. But prior to that, it's got like that sort of alien thing where like another mouth or like another set of teeth comes out. Yeah. I love it. It looks like it's just going to attack you. Yeah. I love that one part there where Stokely puts her hand up to the tank and you see the creature kind of like fill in the space of her hand. You see it kind of morph and mold, I guess, into whatever its host is. Well, shortly after that is when Stan gets attacked by the really old teacher. Um, in a very that sort of uh, shining a... kind of scene with a decaying old lady. Which... Yeah, but the other part of that that really kind of floored me, and I mentioned this when I was watching, is that she comes to him while he's taking a shower. Yeah. And she, and obviously she looks really disheveled. And like there's this moment with Stan where he actually, it looks like he feels sorry for her, so he actually like hugs her. And all I kept on thinking was, he's naked in the shower. With this a so naked problematic, teacher. Right? Yeah. Exactly, and that's what I mean. Like looking at it as an adult and looking at it as a teacher, I'm like, and even afterwards, we have a problem here. Afterwards, here in the, they're in the principal's office and he's only worried about her. I would be like, I'm going home for the day, maybe the week. And he's like, is she going to be okay? (laughs) How did she make it all the way from her classroom to the showers, presumably naked, without being seen, noticed, stopped? I mean, I imagine it had to be a bit of a walk. Somehow she got to the showers, you know, uh, unnoticed. But Joe, we've already covered the lack of supervision and security at this school. Um, Maybe the computer lab is right above uh, the locker room. <laughs> everybody was busy juicing up the computer. She just strutting down the hall naked. Oh my god, she's so not we- naked. He's like she's still dressed. Oh, was she? Is she, she naked? To him in the shower? No, she's not. Oh. She still has her clothes on. Okay, okay. Thank you. For it was. It was he's the one yeah. who's naked that really yeah. kind of surprised me. The, the school's response though is so ridiculous when. <laughs> talk to mrs olsen who's now like the vice principal all of a sudden or something but they're like oh you know um the older teacher she um has cancer she's taking medication she's disoriented that explains all of that and as this is happening casey looks out the window and just sees the coach like in the sprinkler (laughs) she's taking into sprinkler water And I don't know, that would be a, a big red flag. Like, what does anyone else see this? What's going on? But yeah, <laughs> but, that's the other thing. Like, there are, and don't get me wrong, like, you'll definitely have that in like a really big school. But during the school day, there are like not a whole lot of places where there's just like one person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So short, okay. shortly after that is the uh, yeah. the Salma Hayek scene in the faculty lounge. And before we get into that, I am just curious how yeah. much of what happens in a faculty lounge is just teachers saying terrible things about students. Is that mostly <laughs> what happens in there? Or is it class planning and eating lunch and that sort of thing? Um, it's a little bit of everything. But I will <laughs> Good say answer. That Good diplomatic faculty- answer. No, but here's the one thing that I will say, like, the faculty lounge is that place 
that you can go and definitely bet. I, I thought you were going to say that the faculty lounge is the place where you transfer an alien parasite to your co That's what I thought you were going to say. I mean, I haven't seen that at my school, but I'm only going into my fourth year. It's so a good thing you don't knows? teach in Ohio. So you know what's crazy? They go to the faculty lounge, Delilah and Casey, to kind of snoop around to get some scoop or some ideas for a news story. Do you remember when Delilah said that she exposed that one teacher's alcoholism in the school newspaper. Would that ever fly in a school <laughs> newspaper to reveal a teacher's alcoholism? And that no. teacher to still be, uh, there, there are so many problems in this school. Yes, I know we're well aware. No, because <laughs> I mean, the thing about every single club or something like that is you have you know, a faculty advisor. So there's no way that they could ever print something like that without the permission of a faculty advisor. Yeah, um, I think that would fly. But, <laughs> no, it never would, you know. But, wh- just... but while they're in there, this is where the movie really starts to accelerate and starts to get good. Uh, this scene still freaks me out. Yeah, so mm. they're, they're in the faculty lounge. They realize there's teachers coming in. They hurry into the closet. Casey sniffs Delilah which is super weird. (laughs) But more importantly, uh, Robert Patrick and Piper Laurie, uh, the coach and Miss Olsen, hold down Salma Hayek and spit a uh, parasite alien into her ear. The kids freak out. And this is like, I give it to them in this movie, is you always feel like in these situations where someone's in the closet, you go, if you just storm out of this closet hard enough, you can get away. Like you, you have the advantage. You can see them; they can't see you. And they actually do it here. They, they, he comes out broomstick, ready to spear through the coach. They shove, um, they shove uh, Miss Olsen, and they get out of the room. Of course, they come back with uh, with Shooter McGavin and Casey's parents. Um, they've they've covered everything up. They're like, oh, it's a CPR doll. Um, it's very clear that, you know, they've now seen something and no one will believe them. They have the very awesome discussion. Casey, I think it's Casey or Stan has a, has a great discussion with Stokely in the library about invasion of the body snatchers and puppet master where they start to get their kind of very sort of screamish, like here's the blueprint for what we might be dealing with. Um, that's one of the things that I actually, really liked because you know you definitely see people hiding out in horror movies and then like something happens you know they see a body or whatever and they don't make a sound so the fact that they were completely freaked out I was like okay that's actually realistic and the fact that they got caught you're right they were just able to barrel you know right through them too so that was one of the scenes that I I really liked and then I think the other thing that I really appreciated um and this is one of the things that I love about Scream because Scream is one of my all-time favorite movies is that you know like there are these references to hey this looks like this or hey what happened here whereas i feel like in a lot of horror movies you don't always get that this movie is just too it's so close to invasion of the body snatchers they almost have to reference that invasion of the body snatchers exists so you (laughs) know to try to avoid being called a ripoff that's what stokely though like you guys mentioned that she's the one that acknowledged this she kind of gets them thinking about this idea even though it's so far-fetched but Back real quick to when Delilah and Casey are running away from the faculty lounge. 
Remember when like Casey trips and falls and Delilah just bolts and she keeps going? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, Casey liked help. I mean, even though like that was really unnecessary when he snipped her, like not cool. But like other than that, like he like was, you know, helping her out to escape and she just runs for it out the door, leaves him behind. And I love the part when they're back at Casey's house and his parents are like kind of concerned about his behavior and they start, you know, rummaging through his his uh, room. And they think he's on drugs, and the mom goes, "Oh, they hide the drugs in the spines of the books." Saw it on. <laughs> and her, her uh, shooter McGavin starts destroying one of his textbooks, to which Casey yells, "That's government property!" <laughs> and the mom knows where Casey keeps his porno. Yeah. And- yeah, and the other part is like, no computer knows his giant computer. Yeah. <laughs> But it's too big to remove. He can't even pick it up and take it out because it's so bulky. I yeah. loved it. I think he takes. I think scene. he takes like the modem out. I think he takes. Yeah. I think he takes the internet out. But um, that's all he can move. Yeah. So but the then dad's she- insistent about sending you know Casey back to school. So the next day is when Casey has a talk with Stokely, with Delilah. To add on to how annoying she is, she's trying to be incognito and she dresses up in drag as she as she says. Her version of of being she of says she's out, in drag. That's what she says. She because she put puts, glasses on. <laughs> she puts on glasses and puts her hair in a ponytail, and that is her way of trying to be unnoticed. I was like, shut up. <laughs> this is why no one cares if she lives or dies. She she deserts exactly. Casey. I mean, she's just terribly mean to Stokely. Uh, she's she's just awful character. Um, and then, so Casey kind of brings the gang uh, to check out whether that creature is still in John Stewart's fish tank. They realize it's not there. And then, as Frank, you were saying, they have this great scene where John Stewart <laughs> confronts them in the room, locks the door, and you know he's infected, and he just goes to town on that. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's so funny. His dialogue is... In the invasion of the body snatchers in the seventies, there's a lot of dialogue from the people that are that are aliens. Like, it's so beautiful. You've never been so happy. This feeling is amazing. Like, let it happen to you, which is like very common trope. Anytime there's this sort of like monster alien possession thing in a movie, and he and John Stewart does a lot of that. I was wondering, do they do that in the nineteen fifties body snatchers as well? Um, I think they do, but not to that extent yeah like it's not over and over yeah they make it seem like it's like a gratification definitely that yeah you know what come on it's easier this way it's not as painful you know yeah (laughs) it's not terrible so the the most important thing i feel like they get out of this uh mr furlong scene well first of all they realize they cut off the uh zeke takes a paper cutter to his hand at which point all of his fingers turn into little creepy crawlies that are parasite But they realize that scat dehydrates the monsters and kills them when they fire a scat pen. Especially when it's stabbed in the eye. And actually, John Stewart's character alluded to this happening because he also had a quote earlier in the movie about like a pen in the eye. And lo and behold, that's how they are able to beat him is that they stick it in the eye and he just kind of like shrivels up. So after this, they're all like, whoa, this this is not okay. So... Let's leave school and try to quietly. And we have this, the scene goes on for a little bit, but it's like this five minute slow motion scene. Them all just like 
walking out together, looking around. Everyone is staring at them. You hear like people talking in the background. Everybody's drinking water. That actually like that scene where they're like, okay, let's get to my car. And they, they walk out the way that they walk out. Like that is straight from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, yep. right? So the idea is oh, let's pretend like we're one of them, which is why they're kind of moving the way that they're moving. And there's definitely a scene like that um, in the 1950s Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But very similar scene to the one in the 70s. Because she, she sees like, a dog about to get hit and like she screams so then they're forced to run and that's yeah. what happens in body snatchers it's so. funny they go they go straight from this scene the the being trying to assimilate to not get caught while they escape kind of in plain sight which is straight out of invasion of the body snatchers do they get back to zeke's lab and they have a scene that is straight out of the thing where that's, where that's what in I was the thinking. thing where Real quick before the lab part, we also see the transformation of Miss Burke, who's Famke Jensen. And this may be out of order a little bit, but we see like this complete transformation with her where she is not this meek, you know, um, uh, quiet kind of uh, teacher who's, you know, not able to exert any authority. She is like, you know, laying it into Zeke. She like looks different. She's got this new kind of sense i guess of confidence and badassness and she is just like ripping him apart like totally just like destroying him with you know in a in a what would be totally not allowed camisole top from a teacher in a high school i I was gonna say she's wearing like this red tank top top, no there is sort of that insinuation throughout the movie that when people get in get they get infected they become like a more beautiful better version of themselves it happens to miss olsen in the beginning of the movie remember she's wearing kind of like dated clothes and then the next day once she's infected she's got a new haircut and looks kind of like posh so that's actually one of the problems i thought with the movie though is that it's interesting when it's really only when like the older women it's like the women that are like 40 or 50 and above we're all like you know, wearing glasses and maybe a little more frumpy. Once they become infected, they become quote unquote beautiful, which is just such like a stereotypical like male gaze approach. Like, oh, they're going to start showing some cleavage and now they like did their hair. Let alone though, when like the older dudes get infected, none of them look hotter. None of them look any different. (laughs) I'm like, why is it only these older women that are all of a sudden like changing their appearance? It's such a different um, transformation, I thought. Well, I think that that's also something that you see. And like, I'm just going back because of course I have an English degree, but like even Dracula, right? So in the novel, the second the the, uh, Lucy Westenra gets vampirized, like it's like they all of a sudden turn into like these suddenly sexual women, but that never happens to the men. So like that trope or that thing is like really, really old. (laughs) Yeah, like John Stewart didn't get any better looking. Like the coach, you know, there was this <laughs> teacher that had like this like art, like really like orange long um, hair and like big glasses. He didn't look any different. You like, didn't think John Stewart's uh, goatee got more luscious and thick after he got infected? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> 
But um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. One of the many sexist stereotypes in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, so they're in Zeke's lab, and yeah, as you know, he's a man of many talents, and he has a makeshift lab in his. Um, <laughs> Did anybody else think it was kind of bullshit that he had this giant lab? But he's like, yeah, it's just crushed up nodos. That's what I'm giving these kids. Like, <laughs> but this scene, it's funny. We were saying uh, what I was saying before was that we go right from that very lifted straight from invasion of the body snatchers scene to a scene that is right out of the thing which by the way joe it is embarrassing that you are a co-host of a horror podcast and have never seen the thing but i have no shame it is so it is such a good movie joe it, it is honestly that is one of the best horror movies that i ever saw and it's just like i i was i was floored at how good it was it's definitely yeah. on like the mount rushmore of horror sci-fi movies for sure okay. but it truly and, is anyway the so what happens in the faculty is obviously they know that the scat uh, will identify um you know if if you're infected and in the thing what it is they realize that they respond to fire so they take a blood sample from everybody and then in in front of each other they like basically put a hot rod into the blood and if the blood like explodes they know that person's infected and they've got a quick jump to stop them very sorted sort of similar situation in this movie however there is a massive movie mistake in this part of the movie did you guys catch it I'm going to say no. Okay, so <laughs> spoiler alert, Mary Beth is the queen. We right. later we later get a flashback to this scene when they all take it. The only one of them that has the reaction is Delilah. Jordana Brewster's character is infected. Mary Beth does not. In this scene, you'll notice when she snorts out of the pen, she rocks her head back really aggressively. She rock sorry, I moved away from the mic. She rocks <laughs> her head back very aggressively and it and it pans by her very quickly. When they do the cut back to this scene, the way that we see that she did not snort the scat is, first of all, she has basically eyelids in her nose that close her nostril, and she flicks down the bottom of the pen cap because they're snorting it out of the bottom of the pens. So, you know, presumably she's not snorting and the scat is coming out the bottom of the pen. However... In the scene as it's happening, after the mayhem when they realize Jordana Brewster is infected, her pen still has a cap on it. It's empty and it still has a cap on it. I remembered this from 1998 or 2001 whenever I saw it, and I made everybody that was watching this movie with me the other night stop so I could rewind and confirm, yes, they totally botched this. And it, it's just, it's such an unforced error. Like, it should be, it's such an important detail. It's very disappointing to me that they didn't catch it. You should send a very sternly worded letter to <laughs> the executives at... Dimension, and I don't know if Miramax exists anymore because of Weinstein. But well, yeah, I was about to say, does anybody know the address for Harvey Weinstein's cell? I'll just write him a. I, I got a bunch of issues with Harvey. I'd like to air, so I'll just throw yeah. this. In. And by the way, not getting a whole lot of mail, yeah. so this is a great time to do it. Yeah, listen, you piece of human garbage. Not only did you ruin people's lives, you missed the most important movie mistake in the faculty. So everyone's snorting these drugs, and then we find out that. Dun, 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 Delilah is infected, which I kind of wish there was like a scene showing when she got infected. I mean, it, it was a surprise. I didn't necessarily see it coming, but a part of me kind of wished there was like a, you know, a, a scene where we like actually saw that happen. Um, yeah. but because that's the part on some level. I mean, especially with the way that everyone's acting. So 
people are clearly acting differently but she's still kind of acting like herself so yeah. that so that, exactly. that's the part i'm not getting the the alien parasite could not overpower her terrible personality she okay, just stayed I'll go as herself. With that one. But, uh, um, but also, just, like, the best part about this scene is when she Kool Aid mans through the garage door. She, <laughs> she just she full body runs through the garage door. She becomes indestructible and yeah. doesn't have like a mark on her, and she just bolts into this getaway car. Like oh that. yeah, like she's ready to go. I feel like it was um like a a precursor to Fast and the Furious. It was very like. Uh, <laughs> kind of scene <laughs> so they get it in their head i can't remember how they come to the the conclusion that it's the principal but they basically decide that the queen is the principal and they do a pretty convincing sell because at this point it's kind of obvious or it should be obvious the whole movie that mary beth is obviously the issue they even talk about it at one point none of this happened until you showed up but we think we see her snort the scat so you know, you, you kind of you kind of let yourself move on from that. So they go to the football game. They get her cornered in the gym, and uh, that's when we have the massive confrontation. The the only other so the two issues I have with this movie are one the the total botch movie error with Mary Beth and the scat scene and the in the thing homage, um, and that this is this movie feels like she, it should have a better fake ending because all these teen slasher movies have this like oh we think we got them but then we didn't but. It feels a little anticlimactic with uh, the teacher and the way Mary Beth conveniently gets rid of all the scat. But I'd be, I'd be curious if you guys, did you guys buy into that they'd solve the problem when they get her with the scat in the gym during the football game? Um, I, I have to be honest. I really, truly hated the ending. Um, <laughs> I thought that. You know, you do have some really great things happening in this movie, but I just felt like the ending was just, it was almost kind of slapped on. So I, I that that's the part that, that, that's the part that kind of got me. And I think on some level, it seems like, okay, that was really easy. <laughs> so if it was that easy, why are you guys running around? Like, you know, you don't know what you're doing. I did like the Stan taking the scat to the football field or like going to the football field and then coming back and like maniacally pouring out the scat. Like, ah, they got I me. Loved, but I, I loved that scene. Yeah. So like that to me was like him being infected was much more realistic than um, Delilah being infected. Right. Yeah. Um, because, you know, at first he's like, come on, let me in, let me in, let me in. You know what? I need the scat. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope. <laughs> and uh, also we haven't even talked about how ridiculous scat makes you act. It is the maker kind of. Yeah. Everybody laughs like a, like a villain in a cartoon when they do it. It's super dumb. I agree with the ending being a little kind of rushed and sort of lame. Like, oh, okay, that, that was that. Um, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was just interesting, though, like the line when Mary Beth's character is like in the locker room trying to track down Elijah Wood, and she just starts talking about like, join us, you know, like there's no fear, there's no pain, there's no problems. And again, I haven't seen the other movies that you're both referencing, but um, this whole idea of like conformity versus like individuality and like do you want to like conform to the crowd or do you want to like be your own person? Like, again, as like cheesy as this movie is in some ways, I was like, Oh, that's like a perfect backdrop for like 
this high school movie, like that, that message, like you're in high school, you're trying to like fit in, but like you're your own person too. And how do you sort of reconcile that? And I, I, don't know, I thought like, despite some of the flaws with the ending, like that moment, I was like, oh, that kind of like brings this together for me. And what I was mentioning earlier, like that made this movie elevated slightly with its messaging. I thought it like hit that kind of well in that moment for me. I was thinking the exact same thing, you know, just, you know, it, in a lot of ways, it's like the ultimate high school fantasy, right? Like you can tell that this story is definitely, you know, catered towards teenagers and it's a teenage story. And in a lot of ways, um, it's a teenage fantasy. But going, um, going along with what you were saying, Joe, this is the part that I really like about the movie because in a lot of ways, I find it kind of subversive. My, my big two thoughts about the end before we get to kind of our conclusions are, number one, uh, I just don't think that is going to be enough scat to kill like an 8,000 pound monster. I mean, that thing. Like that all thing, you need it was a pen. Pull. I think he had three of them. I think he had three of them. And he killed a monster that easily weighed a few tons. I mean, yeah, it was, was multiple fun. basketball bleachers long and easily in a movie with aliens and fingers that run away and, and just all the ridiculous things in this movie. The most ridiculous thing in this movie is the one month later flashback where Zeke is not only on the football team, he is smoking on the field. He is smoking in not his uniform. Not only is he smoking on the field, but the English teacher is in the bleachers watching him. And that is the part that really upset me. Because <laughs> don't get me wrong, I have gone to games to like support students, but not like that. Yeah. She, had, she had thirsty eyes. She wasn't just yeah. supporting him as a teacher. She was supporting exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah, and that was very odd that they like threw that in there. I don't know what was up with that, but I totally... But, but I again, I really think in a lot of ways it's the ultimate teenage fantasy, you know? Like, mm -hmm. teacher has the hot swarm. It's just... It's there just, was a lot it's of just that. So, it's just so weird for like... I think we're used to the like the inappropriate teacher student relationship always being like more dominant from the older figure. That's why it just it felt so much stranger that it felt like he was bullying this teacher into being into him. It was just very all those scenes are super uncomfortable. Like, you know what I mean? There, there's there's. Oh. Some, oh, and the last note I had is that the saddest part of the movie is when they wreck his beautiful car. But Yes, oh, those that are is, that is devastating. Oh, so um, sad. That also, actually came out when my my best friend and I were watching the movie. We're like, the car. Would you? Was this movie scary? And would you recommend it, Antoinette? And then Frank. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily call it scary. I definitely think that there are elements of it that are kind of creepy. Um, I. Whether or not I would recommend it, it depends on who I was recommending it to. Like if I was recommending it to, you know, teenagers or college students, yes. Um, other adults, I, maybe just because I'd be curious to see what their reaction is. Yeah. What about you, Frank? I, you're, this is going to surprise you, Joe, but I'm a double yes on this. As far as 90s slasher movies go, I wish you guys could see Joe's face. It's just his, his Zoom is frozen right now. He is so shocked his Zoom is frozen. No, I think frozen. that's just him. 
That's just my regular face, Frank. <laughs> and here's what here's why I'll say this. Obviously, we're on a scale here, right? We're on the 90s slasher scale. Is this scary the way the shining and hereditary are? No. But it is the Love the suspenseful hereditary. scenes in this movie. That opening scene with the with the principal and the coach. Um, some of the scenes later in the movie when they're running around frantically, they are better, more suspenseful, more intense than anything we saw in Valentine or the Black Christmas remake. Like I think this movie brings a decent amount of suspense. And if you are a horror movie fan and you have familiarity with the thing and with Invasion of the Body Snatchers and like, I don't know, this is I, I saw a review that said that and a little bit of Stepford Wives sprinkled in. Right. If you have yeah. those point of references, like seeing those kinds of movies, but in a 90s teen slasher context to me is really fun. Obviously, I cannot separate my nostalgia feelings for this movie and my love of the coolness of Josh Hartnett and his car from is the movie actually good? But I, nevertheless, I would recommend it. And I did think parts of it were scary. What about you, Joe? Where where do you shake out on this? It pains me to have to admit this, but I do agree with you, Frank. Um, I, I... I would definitely recommend it for a lot of the reasons you said. I think it's a fun watch just to see all the cameos, uh, the dialogue. Oh my gosh, we forgot that part where Zeke is selling dirty videos in from his trunk. It's boot. And they're starring Nev Campbell and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, are they? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's selling like sex tapes or something? Like, I kind of love how like self-aware the movie is, you know? Um, so yeah, I think it's a fun watch. Scary, not quite, but I agree with Antoinette. There's some creepy moments, specifically whether the Selma Hayek scene, the opening sequence. Um, so yeah, it's got thumbs up all around for me. I wonder if this will be remade. I could definitely see a remake eventually. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But... And I think you could do a really decent job, I think, with the roommate. Mm -hmm. I mean, remake, roommate, gosh. My question <laughs> is, if they remake this, since it's not going to be the 90s, is everyone going to be wearing Tommy Hilfiger again? Because apparently this movie was yeah. basically sponsored by Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> Every character is wearing Tommy Hilfiger at one point. Dude, they did an ad campaign, and I remember, I think I had this issue of teen people back in the day where I remember seeing the ad like whoa this is so cool they look so hip in their tommy hilfiger clothes yeah <laughs> i i knew something was up stokely is wearing a tommy hilfiger shirt at one point i was like why is she wearing a tommy hilfiger it, it shirt it seems a little off brand that is her, very so. off brand no actually it doesn't because we find out that she's a football fan so on a lot of true. ways she does not fit the stereotype that's true and in a way none of them do you know so um well, yeah, that was, none of them do. Yeah. yeah, I think that wraps up the faculty. Yeah, uh, except for, of course, scare they now. Did you do one, Joe? Oh my gosh, I almost forgot my own segment. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, speaking of Stokely, she's played by Clea Duvall, who is one of my favorite actresses. She's such a great character actress. Oh, she uh, is. She's popped up in a lot of TV shows: American Horror Story, Handmaid's Tale, Broad City. Um, most notably, I think Veep. She's I so good in Veep. I've been watching Veep for the first time now from the beginning, and she is hilarious in it. Um, she's also been a bunch of movies, Identity, Girl Interrupted, But I'm a Cheerleader, and Argo. I love that movie. I love that. She's in I'm Can't Hardly Wait. She's in Can't Hardly Wait, too. Yeah, and um, she's actually directing her first movie. It's supposed to, I mean, it may be delayed now with everything going on, but it's called Happiest Season. 
and hey. she is out in real life actually. Um, but it's about a young woman with a plan to propose to her girlfriend while at her family's annual holiday party, discovers her partner hasn't come out yet to, con to her conservative parents. So hmm. that's a really good cast. Dan Levy, Kristen Stewart, Aubrey Plaza, uh, Mary wow. Morgan. So yeah, this looks like a really fun movie. Alison Brie. Um, but yeah, yeah that's so a lot of famous people for a first directing uh, opportunity. That, that's a that's a really impressive cast. Yeah, like, been in the biz that, for a while, and it's nice to see her doing you know comedy. She has really good range. So yeah, that's Stokely Clea Duvall for you for Scare yeah. Are They Now, friend, co-host. This has been real, Antoinette. We want to thank you so much for spending your time with us. And uh, oh, thank you. I, I loved it. Yes, <laughs> so it much back. fun. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> And, yeah. and again, 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 thanks to everybody that donated and participated in our uh, horror trivia for a quality event. Thanks for listening. Find us on the socials at Horror on the Rocks on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, yeah, don't forget to watch Nightmare on Elm Street for next episode. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. Yep. Cheers, Bye, everybody. everybody. See ya. <laughs>